Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Today, uh, I want to continue. We're, this is week five of our post-Easter uh, series, and the series is entitled, So Now What? Uh, a look at the early church, and, and just think about this, it's, it's post-Easter, you know, death, the, cru- the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, and now uh, this thing called the church, this gathering of people who believe in Jesus, followers of Jesus, is, is really just beginning, so you've got the early church. It's all brand new. Uh, you know, they had to figure out how to be, how to do this thing called church. And, and just imagine, they had to do that without Jesus because Jesus had ascended back up to heaven. And thankfully uh, for us, the early days of the church are uh, documented in the book of Acts by a guy named Luke. He was a physician and uh, a follower of Jesus, a believer in Jesus. And so far in this series, what we've looked at, the first couple weekends of the series, Andrew and I looked at uh, where Jesus said to his followers just before he ascended back up to heaven, he basically laid out for them what's known as the Great Commission. And another way to look at it, it's like, here, okay, let me lay out for you the really the job description for my followers and for this soon-to-be-born church. And then uh, two weekends ago, Brett, if you were here, we had our Youth Takeover Weekend, which was very, it was a wonderful weekend. We'll definitely do that again. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you, sweetie. Uh, and, but Brett, <laughs> our youth pastor, spoke, and uh, he talked about how uh, the promise of Jesus to send the Holy Spirit to come and live in the hearts of, of believers in Jesus And he said that the Holy Spirit would come to empower his followers to be what? To be his witnesses. That's what I heard. To be his witnesses, right? And so then then last weekend, Heather did a wonderful job. Um, She continued the story as the followers of Jesus were instructed by Jesus to, to prayerfully wait. And what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and to fall on them. And we're going to hold off looking at Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit uh, uh, comes. We're going to bump it out to the first weekend of June, which is June 4th, 5th, which is actually Pentecost weekend. I thought it would be very cool to look at that on, on that weekend. Uh, so uh, we're going to be you know, jumping over Pentecost when the Holy Spirit, as promised, falls on this you know, 120-ish followers of Jesus who were gathered together to pray and they had gathered at the time in Jerusalem. It was the time of the Feast of Pentecost, and that's also known as the Feast of Weeks. And uh, the Feast of Pentecost came 50 days, that's why it's called Penta, 50 days, uh, after Passover, 50 days. And at Passover, remember, that's when Jesus would have been, would have been uh, crucified. And so, uh, you know, because of the Feast of Pentecost, it meant that many, many God-fearing Jews had gathered in Jerusalem uh, for that feast. And, and that meant that not only had the, you know, the population had swelled in the city, but it meant that there were people from, from every nation, from nations all around the world, world gathered into Jerusalem. And it's into this massive gathering of people that the Holy Spirit falls and just stirs up 
uh, uh, just a, a crazy, wonderful commotion. And in Acts chapter two, Peter, one of the disciples, he gets up and just imagine this. He gets up in front of thousands of people to deliver his first sermon. And Peter didn't, like, it's not like Jesus texted Peter or, you know, or, or that didn't make sense, but it's not like Jesus told Peter, hey, you might want to grab a commentary or two on Acts chapter two, because uh, you're going to be preaching in a few days. Like Peter didn't know that he was going to give his first sermon. Uh, so he didn't prepare. He didn't have any notes. It was just Peter. Well, really, it was just Peter now filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, why are we filled with the Holy Spirit? We are empowered to be God's witnesses. There we go. Okay, four points for those who said witnesses. But we're empowered to be his witnesses. And I would say Peter uh, did a great job. Uh, uh, I think uh, his first time at the plate preaching, he hit a home run. At one point in this talk, uh, Peter says this in Acts 2.36. Peter says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise that the gift of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, the title of my talk this weekend is, is Baby Boom. And I didn't clue in till Friday, like, oh, it's baby dedication. That's kind of cool. Uh, baby boom. But when I looked up in the dictionary or in, in, on my phone, my little dictionary app, baby boom, which uh, it, it says this, it says, is a period of sharp increase in the birth rate like that in the U.S. following World War II. That's what it said in my dictionary app. But that's really what we see in this story. Peter gets up. He delivers his first sermon, his first message. And what we'll see a little later is that it was actually God who added to their number. And boy, oh boy, did he add to their numbers. He added 3,000 people. And I would definitely call that a baby boom, right? 3,000 people. Remember this church had just begun. You know, they've obediently gathered to pray. And I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but they really don't know what they're doing. They just gathered together to pray. I mean, Jesus isn't there. And, and I would say, you know, that's part of the, the joy and the, and the humble, this whole, the, hum, the humility necessary to follow Jesus is we're, we're just kind of finding our way along, aren't we, as we follow him? But it's into that, these people, they don't know what they're doing. Suddenly, whoosh, the Holy Spirit comes and just stirs up this great commotion. And in a moment, this little church is, grows 25 times its original size. Just think about that. They go from like 120-ish to 3,000-ish in, like in, in a moment. And I, you know, and I think that must have been, I try to imagine that whole experience. Like that must have been super exciting and, and wonderful. Like I just imagine the young church seeing 3,000 people going, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be baptized. Like, I think, I, you know, I try to imagine if I was there, if I was one of the, you know, one of the original uh, members of that church, 
I think I would be bawling my eyes out at what was happening. And just, oh, this is so amazing. I would be hugging all these people from all these different nations. Such a beautiful picture. But I, I imagine that the leaders, at some point, it started to sort of sink in on them like, oh, no, wait a minute. We have 3,000 new babies to care for, to feed, to change, if you will. Right? And I'm sure for them, this, this great celebration would have started moving more and more towards a, oh no, what are we, what are we going to do with all these, all these people? And I, you know, just to get some perspective here at our church at VCDC, uh, for us to grow 25 times, you know, I think it's hard to tell these days, but I think we're right around 800 ish. So that would mean in one moment we would grow to 20,000 people. Oh, like, you know, that, you know, that's, that's frightening to me. Cause you know, as I was sort of doing those numbers and I thought, here's what I thought. I thought, Hey, VCDC, Hey church, are we ready for that kind of growth? Right? Like, like as a church family, are we ready? Like, you know, praying for these little ones up here. Are we ready to care for, you know, 20,000 of those? Like, like, that's a scary thought. But when we look at this story, according to the story, God thought that they were ready for that growth. Listen to this. According to this story, the numeric growth of the church and the spiritual growth of the individual, what we'll see in this story, they, like, it is way, way, way more God's responsibility, both numeric and spiritual growth, uh, uh, much more than the church. But the church, we do have a part to play in this process. And, and I say that it's, 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 it's more uh, God's responsibility because, well, what happened in this story, just think about this, like it's, it's humanly impossible what happened in this story. Like, like this young church did not have the capacity to make something like this happen. Like, if, if, like this is how my brain thinks, sort of more practical, logical. If it was dependent solely on the abilities of the church, right? On their experience, very young church, on their, you know, their levels of abilities, etc. I think then if I was God, here's a statement, if I was God, I would have added like 30 people that day. But even that's substantial. So another reason I say that this is primarily God's doing is because, well, because the story tells us that it, that it is. Acts 2.47 says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It was the Lord. It was the Lord who added to their number. And there's something that we can see in that passage, something uh, really very freeing that we can learn from that passage. And that's, that's this, this principle that we see all throughout the Bible, that as the followers of Jesus, uh, we plant seeds and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, we water seeds. We'll talk about that in a little more. But only Jesus, only God can make a seed grow. Only he can do that. You know, and the verse that comes to my mind is uh, beginning of Psalm 127. It says, unless the Lord builds the house. What does it say? The workers labor in vain. And that, you know, I think that tells me then in this whole thing of baby boom and growth, et cetera, we could work and work and work and work and work. But if we aren't working on the job site or the building the house that God has invited us in to build, well, according to that, you know, nothing's going to happen. 
Our labor, our work will be in vain. See, only, only God can reach into the heart of a human being. Only God can reach in and lovingly call and convict that person to repent. And I don't know about you, I was raised in the church, but to me, the word repent has always been a real heavy word. Like, oh, that's right, I'm a loser. Repent. But when you really look at what repent means, that's a beautiful word. That's a liberating word. That's something we celebrate repent. Because you imagine, like really what it's talking about, only God can, if, if, if someone is walking away from Jesus, they're walking away from the light, the light of the world, and they're walking into deeper and deeper darkness. But then God lovingly, just how he's so creative, he, he, you know, he, he calls them to repent. He, he, you know, he, he calls them, he, he uh, uh, what's the word I was looking for? He calls them to, I'll just keep going. He calls them to repent. I had a blank spot there. And to turn around. That's what repent means. It means to turn around. So now that person is walking away from the darkness and they're walking towards the light. They're walking towards Jesus. And in this story, in this story of the early church, what we see playing out really is what Jesus commanded when he gave us the great commission. It's really what Jesus laid out, the great job description back in Matthew 28. Here's what I mean. Matthew 28, 18 says this. <clears throat> then Jesus came to them and said, <clears throat> all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And basically what Jesus is saying to his followers then and to us today is, hey, understand you guys, understand followers of me, Jesus talking, that I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Well, there's, there's no other, there's, there is nowhere else. It's the heavens and the earth. And so basically he's saying, hey, I've been given all authority. That means I'm in control. That means I'm in charge. That means uh, nothing can stop my plans. Now, from your perspective, from our perspective, sometimes we go, ah, I don't know. It doesn't look like you're in control. But that's what that statement is. I am in control. And here's the plan. The plan is you and I as his followers, it's, it's us knowing that he has believing, learning to understand what that means, that he has all authority. With that as our foundation, with that as our backdrop, we now go live our lives. And as we go, as we go and live our lives, what the plan is then is, is we make disciples of all nations. And I, and I love that, you know, those two little, little words, all nations, that, that is quite a statement because that means what Jesus is saying is the plan, his plan is every human being on the face of the earth is, is, is invited into this. Whether you or I think they deserve it, whether we like that person or not, all nations mean, the, and the heart of God, everyone. Everyone is invited. Everyone is welcome to become one of his followers, to become a disciple. And how do we make disciples? We do that. Our part in this plan is we be his, what's the word? Hey, wow, now we're getting it. We be his witnesses. And what does that mean to be a witness? Uh, really what it means is we, 
as opportunities come up, we tell his story. And really, to be a witness, we, we talk about how his story has impacted our story. We, we get to share with people what we've witnessed, how, how a relationship with Jesus has impacted our own lives, the, the guidance, the comfort, the, the healing, the, the provision, the protection, just all you know, just all this stuff. That's what we talk about. And, you know, and let me give you some homework for this week um, uh, to sit down, get quiet for five or 10 minutes, sit down with a pad and paper, with your, your phone or iPad or whatever, and just ask yourself, self, what difference does Jesus make in my life? Ask yourself that question. And, and you might have a short answer. That's cool. You might have a long answer. That's cool. If you have no answer, I would, I would really talk to Jesus about that because I wonder then, have you met Jesus? Have you really met him? Because, because understanding this whole thing of being a witness, how, how you would answer that question, that's your story. That's what you have to share with people. As God creates an opportunity for you, that's what a witness does. Oh, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you how he has impacted my, my life. And so that's the part of the plan. We're witnesses. And then uh, as people become disciples, as people say yes to following Jesus, then we baptize them. And we did that, I think, two or three weeks ago. We baptize people here. And then the final part of this plan that we see in Matthew 28 is this lifelong process of now teaching these new disciples, right? These baby Christians, if you will, teaching them how to obey everything that Jesus has taught us. And that's, again, the plan in Matthew 28. And when we look at this story in Acts 2, it's really what we see happening. You got a group of disciples, uh, you know, followers of Jesus, 120-ish, and they step into an opportunity of God's making. You think he didn't set that up? All these people, the Holy Spirit, the languages, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Like, he totally sets up this opportunity and they step into it. And here goes Peter. Peter stands up and what does he do? He gets up and he is a witness. He gets up and he tells the story. He tells the story of Jesus. And, and he really, he talks about how the story of Jesus has impacted their lives as followers of, of just how, you know, how, how they have experienced him, how they have, you know, uh, experienced and witnessed Jesus. And, and uh, 3,000 people repent. 3,000 people turn around and say yes to this message. And here now this church is growing. And then According to the plan they were given, what do they do? They baptize them. And just imagine baptizing 3,000 people in one go. That's, I, I, the, the logistics are pretty crazy. But then the final part of the plan is they start to teach them all that Jesus taught them. And it's that lifelong process. And you know, here's something that jumped out at me this week. The plan that we see in Matthew 28 that Jesus gave us as his followers before he, he lifted off and went back to heaven there's nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible where Jesus revokes the plan. Hey, you know what? It's not working. It's not working. Uh, we're going to have to, you know, it's 2022. Obviously, it's not relevant anymore. We're going to have to change it up. Like there's nowhere. There's nowhere in the Bible that Jesus changes the plan. The plan this is the plan for his church. Till when? What does that passage say? Till the very end of the age. This is, this is the plan. And that, that, I don't know about you, but that stirs me up. That means I go, woo. I do that. I go, woo. <laughs> no, 
Yes, I'm entertaining myself up here. You don't have to laugh with me, but I, I'm having a great time. And I'm sure my parents, I'm sure my mom is giggling at that. Woo. Um, but that tells me then that we are meant to be fruitful. It tells me that as a church, we are meant to grow. The Bible says that, that we're the body of Christ. All these different parts made into one body. Jesus is the head. Right? Jesus is very alive. That means this body is very alive. And a living body that's healthy, well, that, that body is growing, isn't it? And the truth is, we are. This church is growing. I, I don't think it's a, um, an exaggeration at all to say every weekend we have visitors checking out our church, kicking the, <laughs> the tires, if you will. And they don't all come back, but many of them do. And something that I think is so cool is we have Folks that are newer to the church are inviting their friends and neighbors. And, and we also have people that have been here for years that are inviting their friends and neighbors. Something that I think is very cool is our middle schoolers and our high schoolers, they're inviting their friends from school and from sports, etc. I love that. But we, this church is growing, and I believe that God's desire, God's desire is to get us ready for more growth. And is it going to be 20,000 people in one weekend? Honestly, I hope not. <laughs> because, Andrew, I think you'll be up pretty quick. I'll, I'll just disappear all of a sudden. But, but I think new believers are coming our way. I think with all the craziness in the world, what we think is out of control, I think God's like, it's right on. It's right according to plan. And, and we get to shine bright in this. And I think, I think we do have a baby boom of sorts coming our way. And I want to focus in on our final part of the job description, this teaching these new believers to obey all that Jesus taught. I mean, what does that look like? How does that even happen? Um, let me read in, in, the, in the text. It really answers that question. Acts 2.42 says, they devoted themselves. And when it says they, that's the original uh, believers and the new believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now remember, back according to the plan, according to Matthew 28, the, the plan, the job description of Jesus that we are given, it's, it's not just to make converts. And, and, and I, I, you could probably argue this, but what I, what I mean by that is, to me, when I think of a convert, I think of someone who's changed their mind. Okay? And, and that's important. But, but I believe Matthew... Or, what Matthew 28 says is, no, we're to make not just converts, we're to make disciples. And when I think of a disciple, and according to the Bible, a disciple means that's not just changing someone's mind. That's changing someone's entire life, right? Their entire life. And so, well, what does that mean? Or, you know, what does that process look at? Take a look at this, this slide here. This is something you may or may not have seen this before. This is called the angle scale. And don't don't, you don't feel like you have to write it down. We actually have copies at the info counter. You can grab one on your way out, so don't get stressed about writing it down. But this was uh, created, developed by a guy named James Engel back in the 70s, and, and, and he came up with this uh, as a way of representing the journey 
of a human being from no knowledge of God, bah, 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 you know, through to spiritual matur- maturity as a Christian believer to really to where they are now, a disciple. And you can see this scale from the top to the bottom goes from negative 10 to, to, uh, to plus five. And I, and I want to walk us through these steps. And, you know, I, I hope you find this helpful. <laughs> I find this super helpful. And just, get, just, just to stir your thinking about people. Because the truth is, if you've, if you've shared your faith with someone in, in, you know, in, in years past, or maybe right now there's a neighbor, a friend, someone at school, someone at work, that you're just having these conversations about God, about church or whatever, have you not realized that, that not everyone you're talking to is at the same starting place? Like it's all over the map. And that's really important for us because, you know, I grew up at a time where it was very formulaic evangelism. One size fits all. Take that track, go get them, right? And I'm not knocking those things at all because obviously God has used them. But according to the Bible, the ultimate evangelism formula is you and me. It's, it's, it's us being, what's that word again? It's us being witnesses. It's us being witnesses to the people that God sends our way. So let me go through these. And, I, and I'm going to say our person is, it's a, it's a lady named Sally, okay? I hope, I don't know if there's a Sally here, but that's a random name. So here's Sally. Sally's now at negative 10. And negative 10 there, it says no God framework, which means Sally has no knowledge of God. And something that we need to remember in a, in a quote unquote Christian nation, that increasingly there are a lot of people who know very little about God. That's something to remember. Negative nine, experience of emptiness. There's a, a hunger starting to grow in Sally's heart. And it's, it's a hunger that, hey, there must be more to life than just retirement and you know, 401ks and boats. And like, I mean, and those things are great, but there, there must be more to life than that. Negative eight, vague awareness of Christianity. Well, to me... I would bet that that awareness for Sally came from someone being a witness to her or someone planting a seed in this lady's life, right? Negative seven, interest in Christianity. Suddenly now Sally is curious. She has a curiosity about God, about the church, about the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. This lady is looking for answers. That seed that's been planted, that seed needs to be watered, right? Negative six, an awareness of the gospel, an awareness of the, you know, the, the good news story, the story of Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, heaven. You know, uh, and, and again, that, that Sally probably became aware of, of that new awareness of the gospel because someone was a witness to her. Someone talked with her. Negative five, positive attitudes to the gospel. So now it's more than just a curiosity about in Sally's heart. There's now a, more of a desire for It's going deeper in her heart. Negative four, an experience of Christian love. And of course, we know that that comes through giving Sally a Christian novel. That's being sarcastic. Of course, that comes through you and I loving Sally, right? Us being a witness and and, and her experiencing Christian love. Negative three, an aware, aware of personal need. Well, suddenly... What Sally's experiencing is it's, it's more than just hunger. Now it, it really is like it's conviction. And that's the word I was trying to remember earlier, conviction. And, and it's what we see in the story when the people go, Ooh, what do we do? And I think that's what's happening in Sally's heart. It's like, it's like oh boy, uh, I think something needs to change. I think something needs to happen. 
Negative two, grasp of implications of the gospel. I think now, like Sally's come to a crossroad of decision. Like she really, she really, like she can't ignore this anymore. Negative one, challenge to respond personally. And again, you know, one of our goals almost every weekend is we invite people whether you're online or in the room, to take a step towards Jesus. That's really what's going on there. But more often than not, that's probably going to come through a person being a witness to Sally and saying, hey, have you ever thought of of saying yes to Jesus, of, of giving your life to him? And then we come to zero, which is repentance and faith. And that's when Sally goes, yes, or I guess, yes, she turns towards Jesus and she takes a step towards uh, towards Jesus. Then we come to plus one which is evaluation of the decision. That's when the next day Sally wakes up and goes, what have I done? What have I done? What, what was going on? And how, what does this mean now for my life? And I mean, can you imagine at that point, Sally needs lots of input. Sally needs care. Sally needs, needs someone to come alongside her and walk her through this. Uh, plus two, learning the basics of the Christian life. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to come back to this because we really see this in the text. So we'll come back to that. Plus three, functioning member of a local church. Hey, well, now Sally's, you know, she's, she's, she's coming to VCDC. She's, uh, she's joined a small group. She's getting to know some people in her small group. Sally's volunteering. Hey, she's working with our kids now and helping in a class. Like, so she's, she's serving in the church. Uh, plus four, continued growth in character, lifestyle, and service. Now, for Sally, this newfound faith, this decision that she's made, it started to impact all the areas of her life, not just for an hour and a half on the weekend. It's impacting her, her work life, her family life, her, you know, her, her, her thought life, her, just everything about her. And then plus five, uh, effective sharing of your faith and life. And that's like, now Sally basically is doing what was done to her. She's, she's a disciple and she's learning how to be a witness and how to share with someone at work the difference Jesus makes in her life. Now, I hope that's helpful. And again, there's copies of that at the uh, info counter. But let me, let me circle back to plus two where, you know, how does a disciple uh, learn the basics of the Christian life? And I believe this is spelled out really well in the passage. Let me read it again. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So let me... Uh, I'll wrap up by bullet pointing through this. So how does a disciple, how how does this new baby, if you will, uh, learn the basics of the Christian life? Well, first off, notice there that it says they they devoted themselves. You know, and and, and what I mean by that is is these people, what we see in this text in in the early church is the example of making the gathering a priority. Right? Meaning that this thing, gathering together, it's not just added to the already maxed out list of options in our lives. Right? What I see in this text is they devoted, they made a choice. They made this a priority. It took priority in their lives. And what, what did they devote themselves to? First off, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And, and you know, think about this. The apostles, you know, like 
uh, in that early church, they didn't have Bibles. They, they didn't have, you know, Bible apps and all this stuff. They, they you know, it, it was an oral culture, meaning they, I think their ability to memorize would be, you know, much greater than ours. And so I'm sure they would have memorized chunks of the Old Testament. But when it comes to, you know, the apostles' teaching, I bet most of what they taught were, well, hey, can I tell you what Jesus told us? Like, there's this thing. I think down the road, they're going to call it the Sermon on the Mount. But let me tell you what he said. Blah, 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 blah. And they start talking about it. But they, they, they devoted themselves to that. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And again, if you were raised in the church, when I hear the word fellowship, I see a big uh, coffee urn making coffee. That's what goes through my mind. That's what I grew up with. If you, if you grew up with that. But anyways, the word that's used here in Acts 2 the original Greek word, it's the first time that we see this word in the New Testament, and it's the word, it's the Greek word koinonia, which, which is, means fellowship, but, it, but it's way more than just being together, right? It goes way deeper, way wider than that. It's really more like fellowship is, is having, doing life uh, in, in common. It's like sharing and caring for one another. And we see it in the text, you know, they're they're looking out for each other. They, if someone was in need, they would do whatever it took to, to care for that person, to, to look after them. So fellowship was more like they were looking out for, caring for each other, which, let me just say, VCDC, top marks on this. This is a very sharing and caring church, and I love that about our church. Uh, then they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And that's not just referring to communion. That's referring to getting together and having a meal together. You know, and when I consider that, you know, the early church, uh, I think it's fair to say that, that what we have made communion, right? This, this, when we remember the cross and, or the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, I think we've made it a pretty stuffy thing compared to what it would have been. Cause it would have been as they gather together in their homes and have a meal as part of the meal, they would have had bread and wine and they would have, you know, they're sitting around this festive table, and they're, and, and, they're, and they're doing as Jesus taught them to do. They're remembering, they're remembering through the bread and the wine, the very reason. They're remembering and, and honoring the very one who brought them together in the first place. And it's, it's their common belief in Jesus as they remember his death and resurrection. And I, you know, when I think about that, I think, man, that must have been such a lively communion for them as they remember the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because it would have been like a month and a half ago that Jesus had ascended. And so it was all so fresh in their minds. I'm sure it would have been such a celebration for them. And then finally, they devoted themselves to prayer. And again, last weekend, Heather did such a great job talking about this. And so if you missed that, please listen to it. But she talked about how, you know, of course you can, you can pray on your own. It's good to pray on your own. But the model of the early church is it was so important to gather together to pray. It was part of their fellowship. It really was one of the things uh, that, that helped a disciple to learn and to grow. So uh, let me wrap this up. Uh, why don't we have the worship team come on back? Here's what I want to end off with. And, and there's a lot of things we could draw from that. And I, and I realize I'm moving quick. But what I want us to notice about the model from the early church and you know, the way of carrying out this job description of, of teaching and being taught to obey the, the, the teachings of Jesus is I want to point out that notice that the plan, how it's laid out is it's all within the context of gathering. You notice that? It's all, 
It's all about gathering. It's large gathering. You know, they met in the temple courts. It's, it's smaller groups of gathering. They met in small groups. It's having meals together. It's praying together. And, and here's where I want to go. Here's my thought. I know I'll end with this. I wonder, you know, there was, in Acts 2, God created this opportunity with the Holy Spirit falling. Uh, and we'll talk about it more in a couple of weeks. And it had major impact. I wonder if right now, at a time in history where there is so much loneliness and there's so much disconnection relationally, and there's so much division in our world, I wonder if the, if the move of the Spirit now to make the church shine, to, you know, to, to add to our numbers, would be something as hard and as simple as unity, as gathering, as us just valuing this thing that God has given us in small groups and in large groups, this thing of gathering together. Why don't we stand up? Uh, we're going to go back into worship. Uh, if you didn't grab elements, they're at the front and they're at the back. Feel free to grab those and uh, you can take communion on your own or with your family, your friends. As we worship, we believe in God's active presence here. If during worship, if you get a verse, a picture, a thought, and you're like, wait a minute, where'd that come from? That wasn't me. If you think that that might be God talking to you and giving you something for, for the whole room, Come on up over here. Andrew and I are over here. Come share that with us. But let's worship, and, and then we'll take some time to pray after worship. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.